Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. What this attorney did is he, this, this employee went out and got one of those, those attorneys who make their living off of bogus cases. The attorney threw everything against the, threw all the mud in the world against the wall, hoping some of it would stick. Now, here's the sad part. This is probably going to cost minimum of five, up to $15,000 when no harm nor foul was committed by the employer. Because you have to to litigate. You have to litigate it. Yeah, once there's a lawyer involved, now I need my lawyer and I've got to pay my lawyer to to deal with this shit. And I'm talking about the five to $15,000 on top of the attorney fee to get you here. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Hello. Uh, welcome to The Leading Edge. Uh, I think we're at episode uh, 49. We'll have to do something special for the next episode, which will be 50. Sure. Today, we're going to talk about um, a little bit about finding. I think we're going to talk more about hiring some of the questions that uh, I've had asked of me uh, because of the COVID stuff. And online, uh, we have Dave. Dave, uh, what's the name of your company? California Employer Services. Okay. And Dave's a, a, an employment uh, specialist in California, uh, coach and consultant for shops uh, on, um, and Dave, you can, if, if I'm wrong, you can tell me what what you can you can correct me, but uh, on on compliance with uh, Cal OSHA OSHA um, local, state and federal uh, uh, employment requirements, et cetera, et cetera. Is that Cal- correct? California labor laws, Cal OSHA standards, hazardous communications, and now the infamous COVID nineteen compliance program. Compliance stuff, which oh my gosh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Henry was in compliance a moment ago, and now he's not in compliance. But, <laughs> I mean, um, there you go. How's that? There you are. There you are. This thing's like a new part of me. It does. I didn't even realize I had it on. I thought I'd take it off. For the- it is funny because I, I I I have one. Where whenever I go out, I, I I have a mask, and we're not required here in Utah, but I do it because I think it's a courtesy to other people. Um, uh, Henry Carter from uh, Waterstar Motors in. San Jose. I always have to think. Santa Cruz. There we go, Santa Cruz. I always have to think about the name because I, 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 for some reason, there's two places in California that I can never get right, and Santa Cruz is one of them. Um, all right, so let's uh, uh, let's start with um, hiring, uh, uh, Dave. I want to ask you kind of a a specific question because this has kind of come up uh, as a coach and a consultant. Uh, I believe that we should have job descriptions for our employees. And yet I have some uh, some companies in California that don't want to have job descriptions because they're employees because they feel like the job description will negate the employment at will um, part of California's uh, labor law. Uh, is it okay to have a job description for the employee? Does that create any problem? Uh, no. Well, yes. A, a, a badly written job description can create all kinds of problems. Okay. A properly written job description that some thought went into and some detail went into is absolutely great. And no, it does not destroy your at-will status. Um, to be honest with you, at-will status is almost gone anyway. Okay. Um, these days, if you don't have reasonable accommodation as part of your discipline policy. If you don't have a way to monitor and, and, and check on their progress um, and a couple of other issues, you could be opening yourself up to a lawsuit real easy. So you, you said reasonable um, what you accommodation. Accommodation. What, what does that mean? Because I don't well, understand that. Let's say you get a tech who's just not producing. Okay. You know, in your heart, he can do more, but he's not doing more. So the old school of thought was, well, just take him out behind the shop and let's beat the living daylights out of him for about three hours. And then he should be good to go with an attitude adjustment, which we supply at no charge. But today, 
Um, a more current thing would be, well, I'm going to terminate him because of at will. But today what you need to do, because at will won't stand up in court very well anymore, what you need to do is sit him down and say, hey, look, Javier, here's the deal. Um, we expect you to perform at this rate. You're performing at this rate. Is there anything in the shop that's going on that's causing you not to perform at the level that we want? And you let him speak. That's reasonable accommodation. Eight times out of 10, you're going to get some garbage out of him, which is nothing more than, than excuses. But every once in a while, you're going to get something really valuable. One employer, just real quick, one employer did that with his employee. And the employee told him about issues in the shop. And the employer listened, revamped the shop according to what the employee said, and increased productivity in the entire shop. It was amazing. So, so from from my perspective, Henry, I'll 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 chime you in here in just a second. As a as a coach and a consultant, um, I'm going to hire somebody with what I feel is a reasonable expectation of performance, and that performance is going to be part of their their um, job description, part of their goals for the company. Absolutely, I, I'm going to sit with that employee formally at least twice a year where we discuss uh, their performance towards their um, their job description, uh, how do they get along with others, and kind of rank and rate them in those areas uh, with the idea of improving that employee's performance and improving the culture of the overall business. Um, as necessary, uh, throughout the year, I'm going to sit down with them uh, both formally and informally informally, I'll go out to the toolbox. How are you today? You know, how's it going? Because I'm trying to keep a, you know, my finger on the pulse of what's going on with that employee and with the business. Uh, and then formally, if there is, um, if I need to take them out behind the tool shed, in a sense, I'm going to bring them in my office and ask them, um, you know, do you understand what the goals are, the targets, and why do you feel that you're not able to meet those goals in the company? Now, when I'm teaching about managing people, which is what we're really talking about here, um, there are going to be things that are um, management and shop related that are keeping the employee from being successful. And I have to fix those. So if it's a dispatch problem, if it's uh, not getting the right parts, et cetera, it's up to management and the shop to help the employee be successful by fixing those, providing the education, uh, et cetera. And if it is um, like I had a guy that worked for me when I was in California that would talk to his girlfriend on the phone 23 times a day. Um, that is an employee problem that the employee then has to fix that is identified, documented. Uh, some agreement is made with the employee that is documented. The employee and I both signed that, and then we move forward. What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. Is, is, does that follow the rules? Well, if you get shops doing what you did the way that you just described, then you're in a much better place. But most shops don't do that or even come close to that. And so what what I let, let's just let's just go back to this to Javier. He's not meeting the standards. So we call him in. And we say, Javier, you know, these are the standards according to your job description and our discussions, and you're down here. Okay, we've got to get you up to here because you're just not meeting the standards. So what we're going to do is I want, I want to know if there's anything that's going on in the shop that's going to hinder you from, from um, you know, making your standards. And then secondly, for the next four weeks, we're going to have a five-minute meeting every week on Monday that reviews your progress towards last week. Okay. okay. So the first, the first week comes, it's a five minute meeting, Javier, you, we, we want you up here. You're still down here, but you've gone up a little bit. That's good. 
uh, you need to you need to keep going further. Week number two, um, Javier, you fell flat this week. You know these are your numbers from last week. This is what we need. You're still there. Week number three, he improves a little bit more. Week number four, he hasn't improved anymore. And at this point in time, you say, Javier, here's the deal. I asked you, was there anything that we could do to help you do your job? We've met those requirements if, if it's possible. And you know, we've been monitoring you now for four weeks. And we told you at the beginning of this and when we hired you that you needed to be here, you're still not here. So at this point in time, I have no choice but to dis- terminate you um, for lack of production. Now, following that, pr- doing that process and taking notes on that process, you're bulletproof. Now, in California, anybody can file a lawsuit for anything, but you're still bulletproof because you got to defend it and you have the documentation to defend it, especially if you've done the hiring, um, the, the hiring um, job descriptions and all of that. You're going to be in a really good place. I implement that today because at will is not anywhere near as strong as it used to be. And if you don't have a disciplined policy that implements, you know, accommodation, monitoring, uh, helping these people, monitoring them and helping them to be what you want them to be, then you haven't done all you can do as an employer. And there's a potential for a lawsuit. I've seen um, I've seen a real increase in the last about probably two years in lawsuits um, currently I have one of, one of my guys in, in California that they hired a guy, he only worked for him for about four weeks, ended up terminated him, didn't fit. It wasn't, he was in within, even in, within the quote unquote probationary period, whether or not that's legitimate or not. And, um, and, and the guy is suing him for wrongful termination. You know? Right. So well, let, let me, let me just address that real quick. Cause I know who you're talking about. Okay. At least I think I do. And I'm not going to say who do. I'm you not going to do cause we know him. I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah, but here's the deal with that case. I am familiar with that case. Okay. What this attorney did is he this this employee went out and got one of those those attorneys who make their living off of bogus cases. The attorney threw everything against the threw all the mud in the world against the wall, hoping some of it would stick. Now, here's the sad part. This is probably going to cost minimum of five, up to fifteen thousand dollars, when no harm nor foul was committed by the employer because you have to litigate because you have to litigate you have to litigate it yeah once there's a lawyer involved now i need my lawyer and i've got to pay my lawyer to to deal with this shit and i'm talking about the five to fifteen thousand dollars on top of the attorney fee to get you here to settle it yeah and see here's what these attorneys know and this is why what we're talking about is really critical and a lot of employers don't get it because they want to bury their head in the sand yeah and this is not this is not the day and age to do that these attorneys know this for an employer to defend themselves, to go to court. If this thing actually goes all the way through the court process, they will spend just an attorney's fees, a minimum $60,000. Wow. So that gives them a $60,000 playground that the employer is going to do everything he can. He's going to spend that anyway. That's my point. It's $60,000 to the attorney. That's free money. So, so, um, Henry, let's get you involved in this particular conversation. You have a shop in California. Um, are you, do you feel that you're doing those things that would keep you compliant and, and help you stay on the right, in the right place? More than likely not. <laughs> it's, okay. uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, uh, I tend not to fire employees. Right. You know, I just lay them off and let them collect unemployment. And uh, the unemployment is so established in California that nobody has a good rating. It doesn't affect anything by laying them off. I mean, it doesn't uh, cost me any more money than it's already cost me because I have a terrible rating to begin with. So uh, as far as compliance goes, I do have job descriptions and it doesn't seem to matter how vivid a job description is. They don't really read it and they don't really listen to it. Um, no matter who I've had working for me. Uh, but I think, I think that's, um, I think that's probably a management issue, not trying to poke a finger at you or anything, but no, no, I'm, I'm not a great manager. I, I realize that. <laughs> but when I, when I, when I hired somebody, um, 
Here I don't because I have Kent and Kent takes care of most of that stuff. So I don't have to do it anymore. But when, when I hired somebody, they sat down and, and read the manual. Um, they uh, read the job description. They signed off on the manual. They signed off on the job description and they signed off on the requirements from the position. So when I, when I'm, when I'm working with the shop, I'm talking about, you know, your goals. And then I'm talking about minimum performance requirement in order to keep your job. So if we, if we said with the tech in my shop, if you weren't putting out at least seven hours a day as a technician, you weren't meeting the minimum requirement. And we had lots of techs doing, you know, nine, 10 hours a day in, in production uh, uh, within our, our, our shop. So, so you've, you've signed off on all of that. And if you're not performing, when you come in for an interview, your job description is going to be on my desk and we're going to go back over it and back over the performance standards and the goals for the position. And then I'm going to ask you the, the magic question. Why not? You know, what, <laughs> what's in your way? I always felt like this was my, as a manager, this was my primary job. The why not question. Um, why are you not performing to the level that we need you to perform? And because I, I felt like um, there's a quote by Michael Jordan that says, um, if you come up against a wall, you don't stop. You go over it, you go around it, you go through it, you go under it. In other words, you tear the wall down. And I just saw myself tearing walls down all the time uh, as a manager. Um, and and then I'm going to... I'm going to sit down with you and have a dis- that discussion that Dave is talking about that is very clearly, you know, um, we need this performance from you and what's in your way. And then I'm going to remove anything out of your way that I can remove, you know, as the, as the shop right. owner, the manager of the business. Do you, um, so you can't be in my company working for me without following your job description or following the performance standards of that position in a sense. Right. And the, the, you know, uh, companies are different from place to place and times are different for hiring techs right now. Um, you know, if you've got one, you hold on to them almost regardless because it's really hard to replace them. Uh, the, uh, another issue we've had over the last year, say was car count. Okay, so if you don't have enough cars, how can you expect them to produce enough work? I mean, you can work on that and do things and this and that. And uh, um, I always, I was told my staff that the only caveat, the only, the only uh, saving grace for the employee was if I didn't have enough work for you to do. Right. Then you're off the hook. Yeah. Um, and, so, and 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 it has been. I don't know. It depends on the shop and it depends on the area. But before COVID, I think this business in the last five years has, has transformed fairly dramatically um, in car count. And, and I think in California, the rules and some of the crap and, and, and in other states. But I think with COVID, too, it's like, you know, almost all bets are off uh, as far as performance goes. I mean, we have shops that have 50, 60% productivity who used to have a hundred only because there's not enough work to, to be there to do. And I think as an, as an owner or manager, I recognize that. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to call somebody on the carpet because they're not doing enough work because I didn't provide enough work. Right. Right. Yeah. And we do monitor, you know, times and everything else. I mean, just, and we have a shop meeting every morning. And uh, when they're doing good, I reinforce it and tell them what they're all producing. You know, we had a great week last week. So I gave everybody their numbers in the shop meeting and everybody's happy and smiley. And we have a really good team right now and things are starting to pick back up. And um, we do, I do have the conversation of accommodation. If there's somebody that is not producing, we ask them, what's up? What can I do to help you? And uh, don't particularly put it in writing. Don't particularly get anything signed. I do keep a notebook with the times and dates of when we had meetings. I got a notebook on every employee. Every time I have a meeting with one, I take notes and sign. So let me let me bring this around back around to Dave. Dave, you're on my left on on my screen. You might be on my right on everyone else's, but you're on my (laughs) left here. Um, The the do I so when I have a meeting with an employee, my first meeting. 
I don't I don't document. I mean, I document it, but I don't have them sign it usually. It's the second meeting where I make sure that I have a signature on um, a performance evaluation form, which we have at the Institute, which we, we use with a lot of the shops that we work with. Um, do I need to have signatures on these evaluations and on these conversations? Because of the litigious society that we live in and the lawyers who are making a living off of any uh, and any uh, screw up, whether it's legit or not, um, I'm going to tell you, yeah. Now, now, 10 years ago, I'd say, I oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. But today, I tell you what, when I see people get notices from an attorney and I see them, yeah, $155,000 is what we want to make this thing go away. And, you know, it, what employers don't understand about a good compliance coach is this. We get the calls you never hear about. And that's from the employer who's almost crying and saying, I just got a notice, man, 155. What am I going to do? I'm screwed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all those years that they ignored compliance by burying their head in the sand, they're wishing they hadn't. Well, it can cost you your business. Today. Yeah, well, it can today. And that's the whole point. Back when I started the business in 1997, you had to have an illness injury prevention program. An employee handbook was questionable. And if you got sued, it was a cold day in hell. Right. And that's not the way it is anymore. You still, I, you still can go through your career and not get sued. I'm not, I don't want to be a scared, you know, a scare tactic here. But I, I do. Frankly, um, you you cannot you can no longer run this business as a mom and pop casual business. No, you there's can't. too much risk. No, you can't. Um, you know, in in and I don't care if you're in California or uh, Minnesota or uh, or New York. There's just too much risk in this in this in this business when you're dealing with employees. And I I would say that for almost any small business. Period. I mean. You're telling me that that if I get sued and I have to hire a lawyer to deal with this, it's going to cost me sixty grand. And I have insurance. Um, uh, what do you, what's the insurance? What do you call Employers it? Employers' practices liability insurance. Something like that. I have the liability, but right. and so my insurance company is probably going to pay it or whatever. But still, that's that's dramatic, right? I mean, that can be dramatic. And I know of at least. So as a coach and a consultant, when I come into most shops, most shops aren't even close to being compliant to any of the, the stuff. I mean, I've been in shops where they routinely had their employees work five hours overtime every day for the last nine years and never once paid them a nickel, right? And, exactly. and, and, and they don't think that they're ever going to get in trouble. But the minute that you piss off one of those employees and they find one of those ambulance chaser lawyer types, you're being sued for 200 grand. And, and you're going to pay, frankly, uh, because you didn't do what was correct and what was right under the law, you know. Um, and it's better probably in some states like Utah and Texas, but it still isn't, it isn't like it was 10 years ago. You know, I, I had a case Real, I'll make this real quick because I think it, it it's hitting on everything you're hitting and it, it just shows where we're at. This employer did nothing wrong. I'm not going to go into the details because it take too long, but the employer did nothing wrong. At the end of the day, this attorney who was very good um, made an offer to my client that you can settle this thing for $60,000. Well, the employer went to his attorney and what do you think? And the attorney said, you need to take it. And yeah. then the employer started cussing me out because I hired Dave Fisher and he was supposed to help me and he didn't do shit for me is what he said. And the attorney stopped him cold and she said, you don't understand. There's a reason he's asking you for $60,000. You're going to spend this money anyway. He yeah, knows yeah, he's yeah. going to lose because yeah. you, you, you did everything right, but, but it's going to cost you that. So, so I would have offered him 40, but. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but you know that's the point. You yeah, we yeah. you could have gone down from there and said, "Hey, forty, But you would have you might if he's playing hardball, which he was an ex prosecution attorney who liked this little girl that her husband got fired by my employer, and so he wasn't going to take forty. He was going to take sixty because it was a grudge match. Right. But I'm just saying 
these are the kind of things that happen and are they far and few between? Not as often as most employers think they are today. Right. So, so in reality, it, even if you do everything right, if this happens, you're screwed. Well, and that's um, why you have insurance. Is, right. Is frankly, you know, I, I hate the fact that, I mean, I, I literally, as, just as a human being, I hate the fact that my insurance is going to settle this thing even when I did nothing wrong. But a long time ago, 40 years ago, I was in a class and, and uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Jim Hunt, who I thought was super smart, said, being right is very expensive most of the time. Okay. So I can fight it and spend that 60000 or more and probably win the case, probably, but I'm still going to spend that sixty thousand. Why? I can see why my insurance company is going to offer them thirty grand or forty grand to walk away, um, because it it is it, it's less expensive. Period. And I, I think that most <coughs> small business owners do not understand the liability that they really have. Period. I mean, uh, so so Henry. Um, there's a good possibility that if you do everything right, you hire a guy like Dave and and you work with a, a management coach, to, a coach to help you figure out how to get all this done, that at some point in time, you're going to have a pissed off employee that runs into the wrong lawyer, you know, friend of his girlfriend or whatever, and you're going to get sued. And it's going to cost you money to defend yourself on the suit. Um Shouldn't you charge more money per hour right now and start putting some money in the bank? Um, so that when that does happen, that you, you know, you're not going to go broke and go under, doesn't that liability mean that we should increase our rates and, and, and get that liability covered, which I don't think, I don't think the general public understands how all of this trickles down to the individual person buying automotive service and repair. If I, if I'm going to get sued or, or even unemployment, I mean, you're, you're talking about unemployment and I understand it because I'm an employer, you know, I'm just going to let you collect unemployment because almost no matter what I do, they're still going to give it to you. Right. And, and uh, which means that I'm paying more money. So I have to charge more to cover that, which means that I have to charge my clients more, which means they have to charge their clients more. Right. Right. So I think that the conversation would be number one: call call your insurance man and see what your limits are on your uh, employer practices insurance. Yeah, make and sure you have it. Make sure you have it. Make sure it's, you know, at least two hundred grand. Right. You know? And uh, I think uh, most shop owners think a liability is the customer liability. You know, we don't really look at employees as an issue of. Uh, you know, we carry workman's comp in case they get hurt. We do all that sort of stuff. And we don't really look at an employee going away and suing you for wrongful termination. I mean, I, uh, um, I, I obviously it happens, but it's certainly not something that really is on the top of my mind. And so it's, uh, I'm not sure. I guess my, my point at this point is just to, I'm going to check my employee practices insurance because it doesn't matter what I do. It could still happen. The consequences could be higher because of lack of paperwork and lack of poor management, which I'm fairly guilty of on several occasions. But Henry, you are a much better manager today than you were three years ago. Oh yeah. We don't go behind a woodshed anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but, so, so working with a, with a coach with working, you know, through a world pack smart group um, has made you a better manager and, and probably decrease your liability. Now, Dave, I'm going to ask you a question. Cause I think this is a real important question. If I'm screwed, no matter what I do, why in the hell would I hire you? Why, why do I need you? That's a good question. Um, number one, we haven't even addressed Calosha yet. We've just talked about California labor laws or, or COVID. Yeah. And we, have, we haven't talked about that either. But here's something I want to address uh, as to why you should still have a compliance coach. You got the EPL practices liabilities, but here's what most employers don't understand. That does not cover hard money. In other words, if you didn't give the in-person their lunches, if you don't have that identified in the employee handbook, if you don't have them signing out, they will not take that case. Okay. 
Um, the only thing that they actually, so if this lawsuit, which most of them are these days because the attorneys are smart, if this lawsuit is about anything to do with money, wrongful overtime, uh, not wage theft from the employee, your EPL practices liability insurance is not going to settle that case with you. They may go to to a certain extent of possibly contributing towards your defense with an attorney, but they're not going to. That's one of the exclusions in their contracts. So, so what you're telling me is, I have to be extremely aware of the law and extremely cautious that I don't break the law in any way, especially when it comes to employee overtime, uh, employee pay, et cetera. Exactly. So let me ask you another question. It's a pretty direct question. It's one of mine. Um, if, if in my employee manual, it says employees start at eight, they clock out at one for lunch, they come back at, at two, they clock in, they leave at five in the afternoon and they clock out, and there is no overtime paid unless it is authorized by the manager. Um, and the employee doesn't clock in and out when they should and, and, and still works. Am I still liable? Yes. Okay. And, and what if I then uh, pull the employee in and say, Mr. Employee, uh, you don't understand. You are clocking in too early or you're not clocking out for lunch or whatever. Um, I'm going to have to terminate you if you don't clock in and out correctly because of where, where you're putting me and they still don't do it. Am I still liable? Yes. So now I have to fire that employee. Yeah. Well, if it gets to that, yes. Okay. There's because other things, there's other things that you can do. You can reduce his dollar per hour rate. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You, I, I can change the pay there's, plan. There's so games that, that, that I don't want to call them games. Let's just say there's steps that you can take. No, but we build we build play, pay plans somewhat specific to the situation. And if I have an employee that's going to be here five hours of overtime, I'm going to build their rate at a lower rate so that they meet the same requirement with the five hours of overtime, uh, the same financial requirement for my company. Right? right. And that's a way that if I have someone that, that has to have overtime. Now, what I would say as a coach and a consultant is don't have overtime, period, in your company. Plan your business so that you're Definitely. not having overtime. One more uh, quick question for you. In my manual, because I was in California, it's been, it's been a few years since I've run a company in California, but in my manual, it said that you're, you have two 15-minute breaks um, per day and that those were on your own time, that you could take them whenever you wanted. Does that qualify for them clocking in and out of breaks or not clocking in and out of breaks? You can't do it that way anymore. The The first break has to be sometime in the morning. The second break has to be sometime in the afternoon. It's, it has to be more structured now because of law changes. What I'm encouraging all of my clients and just general business owners to do is to have a sheet, whether it's on your time card or a statement, whether it's on your time card or you produce a sheet. I have And I have the employees sign it every pay period. I have taken all of my rest and meal periods. I have taken all of my breaks. Okay. And, and, and that way, that's their acknowledgement that they have done it. I also make sure that their time card reflects the, the sign in and sign out. Now, I don't encourage anybody to have employees sign in for the two 10-minute breaks because you waste too much time trying to do all of that and they, don't get, and the break. Right. they don't get the break. But I do tell all of my clients, make sure you have a document per pay period that says I, the employee, have taken all of my 10-minute breaks and I've taken all of my meal periods. Now, the length of the breaks is, is up to the employer, but the law says 10 minutes. It's, if it's 15 minutes, that's good. If it's an hour lunch, that's good. The law requires 30 minutes. But that yeah. is really, that's really, a, that's one of the lifesavers that you can do to get around all this stuff that's going on. Because remember, there's always going to be a period of discovery, even from the ambulance chasers. And they're going to spend money too. So the better your employee handbook is, the better your ducks are in a row is. There's too much low-hanging fruit. See, so I'm not going to mess with you if you have a policy and procedure manual that is good and you're actually doing things that are preempting an employee lawsuit. Why would I chase you when you just said a few minutes ago, and correctly, I can walk into to eight shops out of 10 
and within five minutes, find me a $100,000 lawsuit. Right. I would rather chase them than you. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame, they can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to iframe.com and register now. We'll see you in class. I was, I, I, I've been, I'm, I'm almost blown away today at, at a lot of the things that I see in some pretty good shops and the way that they manage their employees or don't manage their employees um, because the liability is so dramatic. Right. Uh, and then when, when you come in, you know, maybe this will discourage people from hiring a consultant, but when you come into a shop and you see such poor performance and you start saying, okay, let's set some goals and targets and let's put an employee manual in play. And now you're starting to rein these employees in. There always seems to be one or two of the guys that don't want to be reined in. They get pissed off, they quit. And then, you know, that, that is a potential lawsuit for me. Right. I mean, anytime an employee leaves my company, there's a potential lawsuit. Uh, almost no yeah, matter what I did, but you can minimize that potential almost to nothing. Yeah. And, and I agree with, I mean, Dave, I'm, I play the devil's advocate in these, in these um, uh, leading edge podcasts a lot. Um, I'll tell you, one of the things I say about marketing is that most business owners and most is probably 98% are not qualified to do the marketing for their own company. So, Hire somebody, it'll save you a lot of aggravation, a lot of time, and frankly, a lot of money. Uh, hire a professional to do that job. I would say the same thing about uh, state compliance, uh, Fed compliance, OSHA compliance. Hire someone, a company that can help you be compliant and do the right things. And that might also include a coach or a consultant that can help you with the process manuals, the the uh, uh, employee handbooks, the, you know, the, even the, the management techniques to um, keep yourself from creating additional uh, liability for your company. Um, all right. Now, Henry, I want, I want to go in a different direction. We are, we're at the, we're, we're a little past the halfway point. These things go so fast. It, it just blows my mind. Um, but before I do, uh, we have our new learning management system in play. It is amazing. We have some fantastic classes there. Uh, go to ifrave.com. Go to the login. Get to our learning management system. We have some free resources there. We have some uh, paid resources. Obviously, we'd love for you to, uh, to, to, to pay for something, but uh, there's a, a lot of great free resources there. Um, uh, so that's the commercial. Now, Henry, um, we lost Dave for a second. I don't know why. Uh, probably needed a drink of water. Um, the the, the COVID stuff, uh, we now have um, probably additional liability because of a virus. Uh, I've got some employees that um, don't want to come back to work or, or uh, maybe I have employees that are nervous about coming back to work. D what are you doing uh, in your business uh, specifically to be compliant uh, for the COVID stuff? I think we're already pretty compliant due to the fact that the toolboxes are pretty far apart. Um, the employees don't normally interact with customers. We're very careful with customers. Um, you know, we wipe down cars and keys and masks. And Are you taking the employees' temperatures and, and recording that when they come in and out of your business? Well, I just got the thermometer finally today. You couldn't buy one. I know. I ordered <laughs> one. It's, it's like a month and a half out. Right. And we got one actually this morning. And, and did it the first okay. time, but we weren't even able to get one. And of course I didn't know a thermometer. I don't get sick. Yeah. Um, so that's a plan. Um, it all, you know, no matter how it seems to me, it's still stuff we have to do. Um, they, we've got them all masks, masks are readily available for all of them. They all have gloves already because they work on cars. 
If they're not wearing their masks, are you insisting they wear the mask? Is is there a rule that you have to wear the mask in the in the shop or? No. Okay, so so I'm I, Henry. I think you're a I think you're a I think you're a pretty good business person. Frankly, you run a a pretty good business. You're 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 probably not typical in that you're probably on the higher side as far as management and leadership and some of the other things that you do in your company. You work with a smart group. You, you, you know, you and I have had lots of interaction over the years um, and you educate yourself fairly well. So now I'm going to ask Dave, Dave, I've got a, I've got a shop and, and we're in the middle of a, a pandemic and I'm bringing people back to work or I've never let them leave. What am I required to do? Well, Cal OSHA says what you're supposed to do is take the standards that they have, and they actually have standards on this COVID-19, and you're supposed to have a customized program protocol that you are following. For example, temperature checks, you may not be aware of this, is actually considered a medical treatment or a medical procedure. So you are supposed to have somebody trained and actually certified to to take the temperature, temperature. <laughs> and you have to have protocol for that. Don't, it's, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. However, the CDC has influenced the ADA, which the American Disability Act is where that law comes into play. So now the key is that management needs to take the temperatures every day. You need to ask the three health assessment questions. Are you experiencing fevers and chills? Have you had any respiratory issues? Have you been anywhere where uh, someone has contacted COVID that you're aware of? And doing those checks. And then you're also supposed to have what you're doing. Like, for example, face mask. Um, What are you doing in your shop? For example, we went out to eat. Uh, because restaurants just opened up here in California a week or so ago. And we went to two restaurants and it was amazing to me the different approaches that these restaurants had to the same COVID-19 compliance. One of them, the lady actually looked like a welder coming to take my order. She had a full face shield on. The other just had a mask. So this is why there is validity in Calosha asking employers to have their own written program working off of the standards because every company, even in the same industry, could be different. So, you know, we actually have a COVID-19 compliance program. We're the only place in the state that right now, I'm sure it'll change, but right now we're the only producers of a customized COVID-19 compliance program that I have been able to find. And I've checked Cal Chamber and and some of the other sources. So if I'm, if I'm a business, um, in California, and 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 you're a California guy, but or frankly Utah or New York, I have to have a written COVID plan for my company. Written, yes. Okay, and I have to document the 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 three questions, whatever uh, uh, OSHA is telling me, or whatever the uh, uh, ADA or the you know the other you know. And, and then, then and the, reason, the reason, of course, is this is where it comes into play. It's under the umbrella of your general illness injury prevention program. Okay. So it's under that umbrella. You mean, you mean I'm supposed to have an illness injury prevention program in my business? Yeah, and a heat <laughs> illness prevention program and a couple of other things. But the point is, that's the umbrella. That law says you have to have a formal safety officer identified. And you also, with COVID-19, you also have to have a formal person responsible for the implementation of your COVID-19 plan in writing. Okay. So you have to actually have a management person overseeing this. And it goes back to Cal OSHA and the illness injury prevention program. And so how employers are going to get busted is like this. They're going to, Cal OSHA is going to walk into your shop as a normal walkthrough but now, instead of the heat and the other things, they've also got COVID nineteen to look at. Yeah. So it's one just more one thing more thing on their board on their yeah. checklist. Exactly. And if I don't have a written plan and documentation of what I'm doing, then they're going to find me in some way, or it'll open me up for liability. So here's the other thing that I think that that I heard I've heard a lot of talk about this. So I'm a business, and I'm going to open up. Um, but that's going to open me up to liability because somebody comes to my business and and catches COVID and dies or even has to go to the hospital, I could be liable. 
could it could create more li liability for me. <laughs> that sounds uh, ridiculous. Anyway, well, Santa Cruz, the city provides a particular form that you actually have to have filled out and stuck on your front window showing all your practices. Well, that's, um, that's, that's, yes, but that's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing, according to what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, it, it covers 90% of that, pretty much. You know, I mean, we don't have a medical doctor on staff. I, I guess I could hire one. But no, you don't, you don't have to have a medical I'm doctor on staff yet. <laughs> that's, that's coming up next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my new rules. With the, with the, the next pandemic that comes along. Um, uh, to me, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so let's throw one more, um, let's throw one more, uh, uh, wrench in the, in the, uh, in the motor or, or log, log in the fire, whatever we want to say. Um, I now have, um, OSHA to deal with. I have a federal organization to deal with. I have a state organization to deal with. I have, and now I have the, the, the city, the mayor or the county that I'm in uh, creating requirements that I also have to meet. How do I do all this, Dave? How, how can I run a business and meet all these different requirements and still run a business? That's the point. The employers said they can't. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you just can't. The laws are way too complex. <clears throat> I spent literally six, six days totally dedicated to our COVID-19 program. I researched what the counties were doing. I researched what the cities were doing. I researched what Cal OSHA wanted. I researched what CDC wanted. I talked to four different enforcement officers. I talked to four different attorneys. And then after gathering all of that information, I created the program I created with the employer in mind. In other words, making it simple for the employer to do this stuff and yet meeting all of the requirements from the different counties. We had one lady buy our program. She says, well, I don't know if I should buy it or not because I'm up here in Santa Clara and they've got their own standards. And so I'm going to buy it, but can I return it if I don't? She'd been a client for a long time. I said, you know what? Knock yourself out. She got it and she said, oh my God, it meets everything that Santa Clara is requiring and you didn't even know about Santa Clara and it meets all the other things. And she says in a matter of minutes, I'm done. I think you have to, I think you have to go overboard here in this uh, particular area. I think as a, as a shop owner, <clears throat> you know, when we do a break job, I want to, I want to make sure we torque every lug nut twice. I want to make sure we, you know, double check every bolt, uh, make sure the brakes are working properly. Do a test drive afterwards to make sure that thing. And 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 and, and frankly, that's over. But I want to do overkill when I'm fixing a car. In this case, I need to do overkill um, as far as uh, my compliance to the law. Uh, and 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 there's multiple laws, so I have to take a lot of things into account and create a program that 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 meets all of this. Right? Yeah. And so you know, what the, I would say the, the good news, the good news is this, because I, I hate scare tactics and none of the, the things I'm saying is a scare tactic. But here's the good news that every employer can take away. If you get a good compliance coach, you can deal with all of these issues in two to five hours a year. Okay. And that's it. Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit ifrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like it's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success and so what i'm what i'm i'm saying is is raise your labor rate a couple bucks an hour and go hire a, a, a coach that understands your laws and and does their you know does their job for you it's it, it's i can't i can no longer be a business owner on an island doing what i want to do right <laughs> running my business as if as if it doesn't matter that I have employees that, that don't clock out for breaks or, or it doesn't matter that, you know, I'm, I'm keeping them an extra two hours a week. Um, we got sued. We had an employee 
when I, when I, the last company I ran, who was our, their parts guy, who was really mediocre at best. In fact, he wasn't even mediocre. And so I brought him in and I said, look, you know, things are changing. You got to do this and you got to do this. And, and he was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll try. And then of course he didn't do anything. So over the course of about a month, I gave him four weeks to meet certain standards. Uh, every week we met, same, same, wrote it down, recorded it. Um, at the end of the four weeks, we had not seen any real improvement in any of the areas and I terminated it. Thank you very much. Wish you the best, have a nice life. Um, in two weeks, I got a notice from the California, the board, uh, the employment, whatever office, and I'm being sued for $90,000 uh, because of, of uh, not wrongful termination, but because he had worked overtime that we had not paid him for. This employee had kept a book and every day he wrote down minutes that he spent, not hours or, or, or uh, 20 minutes at a time or half an hour, but minutes that he spent more and over and above in his position that we did not pay him for. So on, uh, on Tuesday, the, you know, nine, uh, uh, 2013, uh, I was there for an extra three minutes and they didn't pay me. All of this added up to about 45,000. And then of course the, the state was gonna find me an extra 45,000. The way that I beat that was bringing his, his time clocks in and out Here's how he clocked in and out. And then also having a, a printout of what he was doing online during the times that he was not clocked in to my uh, company. And it showed that he was in different websites and looking at different things um, that were not applicable to what we were doing. Uh, and, and of course, uh, because of that, we didn't pay a nickel. But um, if I had not done the right things, I could have been opened up for $90,000 that the state would have got for him, not, not even a sleazy lawyer. Um, I think it's imperative today that we really learn how to run our businesses um, in a more professional manner because of the liability that's created. Henry, um, <laughs> how do you feel as an employer uh, um, about all of this and, and all the requirements and everything else. Well, it's just uh, another piece of doing business as far as I'm concerned. You know, you just do what you got to do, you know. I mean, you know, we pay our taxes. We do our time clocks right. We do – we stay within the rules as much as humanly possible. I mean, you know, it's not uh, in part of our uh, psyche to do – to try and do anybody wrong or get people to work overtime or – or not pay them, or you know, we're pretty honest, upfront people. And uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that most employers are consciously trying to screw the employees out of their time or out of their lunch breaks or or, or whatever. Um, I just think that it it happens in a sense because we're not managing them properly because we don't have a policy because we don't have a manual because we don't. Uh, manage uh, in a more formal way uh, our businesses. Um, uh, Dave, out of all the businesses that you walk into, what percentage of them are doing 90% correct? Maybe 10. What percentage are doing 50% correct? 25, 25, 30%. Okay. And, and, and so there's, there's maybe 5% of the, the, of the automotive businesses that are really doing everything they can perfectly. Um, and, and then it, it goes downhill pretty dramatically from there. Um, I, I don't know. I can't, this was, this was kind of a hiring, um, et cetera. Let's talk for just a few minutes about, about hiring. Uh, right now, I think there is, there are more opportunities to find uh, uh, technicians and service advisors on the open marketplace because they're, by all intent purposes, the, the, 
the number is going to be somewhere between about 15 and 25% of the shops that are not going to make it through this or have not made it through this. Um, so Henry, are you doing anything to market out there for these potential employees? Well, currently I've just hired a new employee. Um, you know, you were talking about the COVID thing and employees happening and what's going on. So just as COVID hit, we had an extra employee that we just laid off um, because obviously we didn't have enough work to keep busy. And I've been looking for a smog tech for a few years. So I just put ads out for a smog tech, got a guy. He's been working more than four weeks now, I guess, actually, Lisa said. And uh, it was still not easy. I mean, I, he was the only person that responded to ads on SantaCruzJobs.com or MontereyBayJobs.com, Craigslist, and uh, I forget wherever else it was. Literally one person applied for the job. Um, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, we always have this conversation about what kind of ads going to draw what. Um, if they're out there, they aren't knocking on my door. Okay. You know, and uh, I've had an ad out for a master tech with an ASE master tech, you know, and uh, I put like $80,000 on it to start, you know, plus bonuses and zero responses and running at the same time. Yeah. You know, so I pretty much always run ads. You know, I'm, I'm constantly running some sort of an ad for sometimes just putting an ad out for just a technician. I just need a guy to fix cars, whatever. We'll get more response than anything else. And you might find a gem out of that. When you start asking for ASE master techs or journeyman technicians or put too many labels on it, it seems like nobody responds. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if they just uh, don't have as big egos as they used to have or if they just don't have them out there. I get a lot of guys that respond that don't even do ASE testing anymore and don't even keep it up, yeah. which surprises me because I've been one for all my life and I continue to be one. So well, I, th I think um, ASC hurt themselves when they created a certification for the oil change guy or the, you know, they, they created a bunch of other certifications that I think pulled away from their master certification, mm -hmm. um, the, the validity of it. Right. Um, that's what I think has happened. And so a lot more guys are saying, what does it matter? And they're not, they're not doing it. Well, you're still required as an, a, uh, we're a triple A authorized shop. And, to have uh, and you're required to have an ASE master tech. You're required to have an ASE certified service advisor and an ASE certified parts advisor on your um, staff in order to qualify for that particular program as a AAA program. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's not easy to maintain if, you know, you, you know, if you don't, you know, we, for one thing, we don't have a large staff, you know, right. there's, there's six of us and, uh, and, uh, I don't but, have, yeah. So for me, it's almost like I need to be the master tech, the master service advisor, and the master parts guy. So at least I know my company has that, right? Well, you just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly the way it is. <laughs> um, Dave, how important is it that I have an employee manual and that I, when I hire these people, that I create goals and standards that uh, we discuss and that they are aware of and that they are managed by? Uh your employee handbook, good or bad or non-existent, is your front line of defense. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's very important. In the absence of an employee handbook in the real world, what you end up operating by is your daily policies and procedures, which are not usually consistent from day to day in the rush and the hectic day of of, of, of you know, your oh. life has not moved repair shop on it. So hang on, because I have to have you clarify that. Most shops that I know of are more likely to have a, a handbook than any employee procedures that are documented at all. So when we talk about employee procedures, your day-to-day -day procedures, are we talking about documented procedures? Or are we talking about just kind of what we do? Just kind of what you do, which ends up being the same thing in a lot of uh, circumstances. Let's say, for example, you got a guy that you don't really like. Um, all of our employees are not liked equally in the company, no matter what, no matter how much we try. We're so if Charlie, Charlie asks for a pay advance and Charlie's been with you since dirt. Charlie's going to get a pay advance. Billy asked you for a pay advance and he's been, he just wrecked a car backing it out. 
Hell no, he's not getting a pay advance today. But that's what I mean by you see when when your your mood swings depending upon what's going on the day influence your daily practices. Your daily practices are going to change according to the moods that you're in. But, and how but that means going. that I have little defense because I'm not doing the same thing from day to day. You don't have any, you don't have any defense. Okay, so if I have if I have documented procedures for my staff. Does that give me defense? Yes, as long as you are enforcing those procedures in a uniform manner. Okay, which means that I have to manage people and I have to have regular management meetings with people based on the standards that we've created for them. Right. Okay. Um, so do I need something that states if you uh, are the employee that backs out and, and damages vehicles, you're not going to get a raise? or Or is it safe to say that if I have a pay policy that sign that this is how we pay people and this is how you get extra money or you make raises, that that defines for the employee what what happens in my company. Well, you can't you you can't. It's difficult to do what you want to do exactly with that situation, but you can have a performance um, assessment sheet. In other words, how many returns am I producing? What's my uh, return? What, what's my comeback? Yeah, what's my return rate? My comeback rate. Right. Okay. Um, other performance areas can be included in that formula. And yes, that you can stand behind. So I, I don't like, uh, personally, I don't like um, a normal pay raise. Like every year you get a raise. I don't, I don't do that. I create a pay system where the employee can virtually by doing what I want him to do, make as much money as I'm willing to pay for that position. Then in your employee handbook, you want to have a policy that says your, your pay raises are based upon your performance reviews, which we do quarterly. Right. Now, the only problem with that is there's absolutely no problem with that unless you don't do that. Well, you have to have your, your reviews if you're, if you're stating exactly. that's where things are. So to have it in your employee handbook, but then not to do it is counterproductive and defends you and, and renders you defenseless in that scenario. So whatever is in your employee, and I tell employers this all the time, if you can't do what you say you're going to do in your employee handbook, Don't we say will it. not put it in your employee handbook. Yeah, yeah, because that's going to open you up for liability. It's going to make it worse instead yes. of better. All right, we're, we're at the end. We, we always get to the end too, too fast. We haven't covered everything I want to cover. Um, uh, uh, Henry, we always give you a minute or so to, to tell the guys out there what, what you want to tell them. What would you tell other shop owners out there uh, based on what we've covered today? Wow. Uh, just follow best practices, I guess. I don't know. I saw Henry, he's writing notes as we're having conversations. Oh, yeah, there's so good things he's saying, you know, and I got to remember what I'm, what I've heard and think about these things, you know, the employees this and be, manual. Yeah, this will be posted on, um, uh, you can get it on Spotify or iTunes, and it'll also be posted on Facebook again uh, tomorrow. Um, so it'll be available for other uh, people if they want to, if they want to watch right. it and pick up some of the stuff. Right. So, but I get a lot of this stuff, you know, just from being in the smart group, you know, I did that, you know, I, you know, and, and like Cecil said, he's always the devil's advocate. And uh, it, so sometimes he doesn't say too much. That's very nice, but it's, <laughs> but, but it, you know, that's, you know, I'll plug the smart groups because they really work. And I, I like that. And uh, they've got me where I am. And I have people I can ask when I need to know, you know, you know, if I don't understand something or I've got a question, you know, you post it out there and you get some help. Good resources there. It's really good resources. Thank you for that, Henry. We, we, we love our smart groups. I, I really enjoy what I do and I think it's very beneficial to those shops. Uh, Dave, uh, last words uh, for the guys out there. Uh, last, don't be overwhelmed by the complexity of compliance. Don't try to do it yourself. Get you a good compliance coach who can minimize your time investment because that's your time is money and give you the peace of mind that you deserve and help you protect your rights as an employer by helping guide you and direct you and navigate through these waters. And they can be treacherous, but, but it's not that bad. In three to five hours a year, you can be in compliance with minimal effort. 
So Dave, I, I have no idea. Someone asked this question. What does a good compliance coach cost me monthly? Um, it's going to depend, but you know, you know, our service, just for an example, to toss it out there runs $850 for the first year. Okay. Wow. A Cal Chamber membership with no uh, input, direct input runs you about 650 a year. Right. So, so um, I'm going to, I'm going to take over and do the last, the last little bit here. We're a little over time. We do it all the time. Um, raise your labor rate two bucks an hour, go hire a good compliance coach, pay them well and, and, and don't let it overwhelm you. Um, I think that even though I'm in trouble here because I'm an employer and, and I may get sued, I'm going to do everything I can so that if and when that time happens, um, I have some comfort in I'm on the right side. I did the right things. And, and hopefully so far I've been, I've been to the employment things, uh, I think 13 times I've always won. I've never lost because the paperwork's done right. The management's done right. I have everything documented. Um, if you're not, you really need to think about how you're going to run your business so that you can, because I think in the near future, you're going to have a lot more lawyers going after a lot more shops because they know it's, it's, it's easy money. It's their easy prey. Um, all right, guys, th uh, you know, thank you so much. I mean, these are, these are really beneficial. Dave, I'm so glad you were here. You really added a, a ton uh, uh, to this. And uh, Henry, thank you for your time. I, I love you, buddy. Um, uh, uh, out there, guys, if you, if you want to watch this, Spotify, iTunes, uh, you can go to ifrave.com, sign up for our new learning management system. Uh, there's some free stuff and there's some paid stuff. We're doing uh, a lot of classes here. In fact, Dave, I'm, I might want to talk to you about a, a class uh, on, uh, on compliance that we could put out there. Um, all right, guys, uh, thank you much and, uh, and take care. Thanks, Bye. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iforabe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.